0: Thankful for that, and uh, and I shared a little bit of the testimony this morning there on campus about my first service here at, at Southwest Baptist Church as a as a college student. I'll never forget it, and uh, the, especially when the choir started with the opener, and uh, you know my dad had pastored in Wyoming, and and never I just had never been in a church of this size, and never heard a choir that size sing that 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 passionately. I was going to say loud, but that that's a little bit less diplomatic. Passionately. Um, just singing it out like that, and Brother Floyd leading the songs, and and um, as a young song leader, as, aspiring song leader, I was pretty inspired that day uh, by the music service here at Southwest. And I remember the first uh, couple of months that I was attending here, um, every special I just I would just sit in the I would just sit in the pew and cry, and uh, God was working in my heart in such a special and unique way. And a lot of those decisions, a lot of that shaping and molding, took place right here in this room, and uh, and so don't. I, I know it's easy to, you know, lose maybe lose sight of Heartland being part of Southwest Baptist Church, and and vice versa, that unique relationship that you have. Uh, but don't forget the impact that you have. On servants that are going out and, uh, and reaching the world for, for Jesus Christ. And uh, I look back on seeds planted right here, and I just wanna say thank you and still see many familiar faces uh, from 25 years ago. And, uh, and all of you aged, I didn't, but you know, I'm, you know, yeah, we all, we all got a little older, and yet it just gets sweeter the older we get, doesn't it? And I'm thankful uh, for your influence. I, I'm also, it's unique, uh, you can turn to Numbers 13. Well, I'll have you stand in just a moment. Um, but Numbers 13, it was unique a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was able to have influence then uh, with your young people at, at Indian Creek Baptist Camp. And, um, and that was a great week. I'm telling you, the young people came. And it, it was like, if you know the camp lingo, it was like we had a Thursday night response on Monday night. It was one of those kind of camps. And, and they came ready to respond. And, and your young people had a major part in the spirit of that, of that camp. Um, and I, and so I thought there was a couple of things I wanted to preach. One of them was, I, I felt we ought to need, we ought to talk about, um, maybe, um, how we're raising them because man, they're really competitive at one pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you about humility and about, you know, maybe helping them. No, uh, that was fun to watch that. Um, but but this message came to mind immediately when Pastor Gaddis asked me out of Numbers 13, especially because I, I got to see your young people, and some of you had children, teenagers there that were part of that camp, and I got to see their response. I got to see how God was working in their life, and so I, I come to you maybe from, with a unique perspective tonight, and then at the, the Week of Youth Conference this week, they're they're doing the same thing over on campus. How. Uh, God is working on them and, and speaking to their hearts and they're already responsive. And, there's, and yet there's a principle here in Numbers 13 that I want you to see. And let's go ahead and stand. Numbers 13, and, and we'll look here um, at these verses beginning in verse 26. Um, and uh, Numbers 13, 26 is where we're going to be. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter, maybe a little bit into chapter 14. It says this, And they went and came to Moses. And to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. This is after the spies had gone into Canaan and to see what what really it was all about, and they'd come back to give a report. um, And they told him, verse twenty-seven, and said, "We came under the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey." And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The uh, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb, so if you can imagine here he is. He's talking them out. They're talking them out of it. And they're saying, but we've got these wall, these cities with walls. We've got these giants. I mean, yeah, the fruit is good, but you're not going to believe how hard it's going to be. And so all the people then are obviously responding um, in with distress because the Bible says that Caleb had to still the people. He had to calm the people. Uh, he had to Uh, talk them down. And it says, Caleb, verse 30, stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I love his faith. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured Against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, "Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness?" And I'm going to stop reading right there. It doesn't get a whole lot better, you know. So might as well stop while we can. But tonight I, I want to just present to you this this thought um, that sometimes it's not only the scouts coming back that lack faith. Sometimes it's those that hear the report of the land that lack the faith. And, and it, we ought to be careful with our young people. When they go and God does a work and they get a glimpse of the land and they come back and we might be the ones that are afraid of the giants. And I want to think about that tonight based on your recent camp trip And then what's going on over on campus tonight and maybe just be a help and encouragement to you. You have a lot more to do with the faith of the next generation than you probably realize. And let's ask God to help us tonight. Lord, we need you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I pray you do a work in our midst tonight. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, And as many of you know this story, I think we'd all agree this is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. And most of you are familiar with it. Moses sends the 12 12 men to spy out Canaan. And and Canaan is this land of promise. It's not just a piece of dirt. Um, It it holds. It's the fulfillment of 400 years of promise to the children of Israel. So for 40 days, these spies, they, they go and they search out the land and they come back and they say, the stories are true. Everything we've heard is true. It's all valid. And, and yet verse 28 begins with a sad word, nevertheless. And that nevertheless is, yes, it's a great land. And yes, the promises are true, but there are giants. And, and we're like grasshoppers, they say. We're grasshoppers in their sight. And, and, and these 10 spies, 12 of them went, but 10 come back and they're giving an evil report of the land. And, and we know that two spies, Joshua and Caleb come back and they're convinced that God can handle a few giants. And I love the fact that Joshua and Caleb, and especially Caleb, speaks up and he tries to still the people. He tries to calm them down. And he says, yes, there are giants. And compared to us, they're tall. But compared to our God, they're not big at all. And he tries to give them faith. He tries to help them to see, no, there's a different perspective. But they're having none of it, the children of Israel. I mean, big surprise, Right. They're not going to listen to the report of faith. They start weeping. They start wailing in verse one. They murmur against Moses. They say, oh, if only we had died in the wilderness, if only we could go back. In verses three and four, they say, let us find a captain and we'll just go back to Egypt. We don't want to mess with this anymore. And so Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, uh, they try to turn the ship around. They try to uh, get them to see no God is working and and God can do this and they fall on their faces before God they pray to God that the people will have a change of heart uh, Joshua and Caleb even rend their clothes and 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 they and they try to go to God on the behalf of the people they then they stand up in the crowd look at verse 7 they give this speech it says and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel saying the land which we passed through to search it Is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. And so they say the land is good. And not only that, God wants us to have the land. I mean, we've got reason to go and follow God by faith because the land is good and God wants us to have it. Have it, they say. Don't rebel against God. This, um, He's on our side. Don't forget that, you know. And in most crowds, a message like this would have turned them around. Uh, in most crowds, this is the kind of speech that would have that would have helped the crowd to see. Yeah, God is with us. But verse ten, look at their response. All the congregation. Bade stone them with stones. They want to kill these men that have come back and have faith. They they want to kill these men that are saying we can do this with God's help. And look at verse ten again. It says the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord did, appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. I mean, uh, just try to get this tonight. Uh, get the picture. I mean, they're literally watching the glory of God fill the tabernacle right before their eyes. I mean, they see God come and inhabit uh, this, this earthly dwelling. And, and not only that, these, they're, they're looking up in the sky. And in the sky, maybe at that time, if it's in the middle of the day, there's a cloud that represents God's presence. If it's at night, they can look in the sky and they can see a pillar of fire that represents God's presence. So you have this group of people and God's glory is filling the tabernacle. There's a cloud that's leading them. There's a pillar of fire that's leading them. Most of these are just a few weeks removed from watching the Red Sea part and walk across on dry land. And they're saying, "Uh, nope, our God's not big enough. (laughs) They have all of this evidence. And in their minds, yep, no, this isn't going to happen. They, they don't, they're not trusting God and his presence is visibly right before them at all times. Amen. And because of that, God has had enough. Look at verse 11. It says, the Lord said unto Moses, how long will, thou, will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? He says what I just said. And I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier. Then they, he says, how long am I going to put up with this? They have the signs. They know that I'm real. They know that I have power. I've already proven it to them. And yet no matter what I've done, they will not believe. You know, Moses, let's just start over with you. And I don't really blame. I mean, I'm not trying to project God's or my emotions on God or my thought processes on God because I wouldn't have lasted this long. I would have said... Okay, Moses, we're starting over with you. No, here's, here's God and he's, he goes to Moses and we know that Moses, um, Moses intercedes on their behalf and, and once again, we see that Moses comes through and saves their, I was gonna say saves their bacon, but they're Jews. Um, he comes through and he saves them again. He intercedes on their behalf. And, and once again, uh, God's mercy is shown to them because of Moses' intercession. And, and he intervenes on their behalf. And, and, and I'm not going to read all of that. Look down at verse 20. And the Lord, after the intervention, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. He says, I will show mercy, but I'm going to remind the children of Israel that it's not about them. It's about my mercy, about my glory, he says. Verse 22, he says, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So here he starts to give. Okay, Moses, I'm not going to wipe out the nation and start over with you. I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to show mercy He said, but there are going to be consequences. And all of these men that came back and didn't have faith, they're not going to see the land. These that have come back and they lacked faith in my ability, even with all the signs and with all the evidence, um, I'm going to take care of them. Now, he says, now, Caleb is different. and I'm thankful. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb Because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it. I love that God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. Thankful for that for sure. But I just want you to recap though the consequences that come because of their lack of faith. Look at verse 29, it says, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun but your little ones which ye said should be a prey. Remember those, the ones that you said are gonna die. Them will I bring in. And they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. And the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said... I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against them by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. That's a serious list of consequences due to a simple lack of faith. I mean, everyone 20 years old and upward uh, that murmured against the Lord, they would, they would not inherit the land, just Joshua and Caleb. And those little ones, the ones that they said are going to be a prey, they're going to inherit the land. And, and he says, because of your unbelief, you and your children were wander in the wilderness one year for every day that you went and searched out the land. Those 10 spies that brought an evil report, they're going to die right now, by the way. Yeah, right. What does all this mean then? I mean, the, the promised land, I know it's sobering, uh, but the promised land is a picture of the abundant Christian life. I remember Brother, Brother Davison preaching through Exodus when I was a student, and, and that was it drilled in us. This is a picture of the abundant Christian life. It's not necessarily a picture of heaven, because we don't have to go take out giants when we, once we get to heaven. Canaan pictures special, spiritual maturity or Christ-likeness, and God has given us a picture in Jesus Christ of who he wants us to be like and what he wants our lives to look like. And not only has he given us a glimpse, he's also enabled us to reach that through the through the word of God and through the preaching and teaching and through the help of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, we can. We have resources available to us to to take the steps into the abundant Christian life. The problem is it's not easy. And just like Israel, we've got to cast out giants before we can take the land. We don't get saved and then flip a light switch. It's not the way it works. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Sanctification or Christ likeness is a process. Now, and and I have to say this as a pastor because I run into this quite a bit. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is a moment in time that you place your faith in Jesus Christ there's a lot of confusion right now when I deal with people about salvation because they, it's almost like they believe it started here and it ends over here. No, salvation starts and ends right here. But your life as a, as a picture of growing in Christ's likeness, the process of sanctification is a process. So there's a light switch at salvation but it gets brighter and brighter and brighter the longer we go. You don't just jump into it. You, it's a process. We all have personal giants along the way to defeat. You've got giants. I have giants. We have besetting sins. We have bad habits. We have fears. We have doubts. We have things that we, we must work through before we can enter into the, the land, the abundant Christian life. Unfortunately, we can be just like Israel. Israel. And that their sin of unbelief prevented them from seeing God for who he really was. See, they had seen the miracles. I mean, I go back to Egypt. I'm thinking, you saw all those plagues. You watched this Red Sea part. I mean, you can literally look in the sky and see a cloud that represents God's presence. I mean, you literally just watch the glory fill the temple, and that yet they still refuse to believe that God was bigger than their giants. I mean, God had made the abundant life available, but, but he doesn't force us to inherit it. He gives us a choice. He says, here's the life that I want for you. It's a great life. It's, it's the best life, actually. That sounds like Joel Osteen, but I mean it. Your best life now, so... But he says, I'm not gonna force you to take it. I'm gonna make it available, and you have the option to choose. You can have a spirit like Caleb that says, yes, I'm gonna follow fully after God, or you can have a spirit like the rest that says, God's not big enough. And there's an application, I think, obviously in our personal lives, in that Jesus Christ came to give life abundantly. And I I need to ask this tonight, have you been to the promised land? I mean, some of us have been saved long enough that it's a shame if we can't say we've never been to the promise, if we, we've never been there. It's a shame if, if we've lived our Christian life for any length of time and we've never experienced the fullness of Jesus Christ and, and, and living in full surrender. I'm not saying that we reach perfection. We're not, we don't ever become sinless, but, but the abundant Christian life is available to you. And if you've been saved for any length of time, you can live that life. It's possible. It should, honestly, it should be the norm. And yet for, for most of us, we think, well, the abundant Christian life to be spiritually mature, that's the exception. That's not the way God sees it. For him, it's the norm. It's good. He came to give us life and give us life abundantly. And you can have it, but there are giants maybe preventing that in your life. There's a sin that you can't defeat, maybe. There, uh, you just can't seem to catch a break in a habit. There are fears you can't overcome, uh, Joshua and Caleb told the people, though, that it's not up to them to gain victory. They have God on their side. And maybe you ought to be more dependent on the Lord. You can't win those battles in your own strength. But God said, don't fear, believe in my power and follow me fully. And that might be the primary lesson. I mean, if I'm going to be accurate to the text as much as I can be, no matter the giants, the abundant Christian life is within reach with God's strength. You can you can live there. You can have it. But I want to make a very specific application because I believe this passage has an important truth that often gets missed. See, the unbelief on the part of the children of Israel didn't only affect them. A multitude of young people had to wait 40 years before they could enter the promised land. And it's so sad when you think that the lack of faith on the part of the adults affected the next generation. But that's how it works. We don't live in a vacuum. We're not an island. And I'm lumping us together because uh, most of the young people are over on campus tonight. But, But think about this. A couple of weeks ago, you sent a group of young scouts to southern Indiana. And they went over there to scout out the land. I don't mean Southern Indiana, it's nice. But I'm talking about the, the promised land, the abundant Christian life. And you sent them over there and you raised money and they got on buses and, and those buses, as far as I know, didn't break down too bad this time, thankfully, they made it and, and they got there and they scouted out the land. And I'm telling you, I got to see it, I was there. And I got to watch how your young people caught a glimpse of the abundant Christian life. And and they responded at the altar and God broke their hearts and he broke them and they got things right and they prayed with each other. And I got a front row seat to it. It was awesome. It was a blessing to see them, to get a glimpse of what, of the life that God wants them to live. I got to watch it. God's been working on their hearts this summer and he's doing it again right now over on campus. Many of them have caught a glimpse of the life God desires them to live. And sometimes, you know, we view summer camp or youth con as some emotional sob fest in which all the kids go and they lose sight of reality for a few days. And then they come back and they finally can come back to reality, you know, to, to what's normal. But that's I don't believe that's the way it's supposed to be. See, I believe the opposite is true. I believe that young people actually get a picture of what reality is when they go to those places. I believe that's, that's the normal Christian life. I believe that's the life that God wants us all to live. That's reality. And yet sometimes they come back and we think this is coming back to the reality. Um, but when they're there, they don't have the diversions of life. When they're there, their phones aren't distracting them. When they're there, they're in an environment Um, where the preaching takes precedent. And they for for just a few days, they have clarity. They see things for as they really are. They know this is the best life. This is the Canaan life. And they get excited about it. And many of them come back like Joshua and Caleb. And they have a spirit that says, I want to follow. I want to follow fully. They're excited about how they might live for God. I mean, yeah, they know there are giants, but they've also seen God very clearly in a matter of a few days. And and their giants are nothing compared to the size of their God. They have a different spirit. They're not worried about the obstacles because they have a big God. My question, though, is this. How will their church respond to the glimpse of the life they've caught? See, hopefully you say it is a great life. Yes, the abundant Christian life. I'm t- telling you, we have nothing to fear. God is on our side. And hopefully we're saying, if you made a decision for God, I'll help you in that decision. However, whatever you need help with, I, I want nothing more than for you to get there. And, and let's follow God fully. Let's do it as a church family. If that's our response, it's wonderful. But unfortunately, sometimes we're saying, oh, great. Here they come. Back again, all excited, all excited. About camp and conquering Canaan and youth conference. I think we went through all this last year. And I know the land is great, but those giants really are pretty big. And, you know, and I've, I've heard these testimonies before, and just give them a few weeks, and everything will be right back to normal. And yes, you know, our parents say, Yes, son and daughter, I know you made a decision about your music, about your friends, about your future, um, but let's not be extreme here. Yeah, I know you made a decision to witness more this year, but you need your evenings. This is your senior year in high school. You need to focus on your homework to get in that college that, I want, that, that you really want to go to. There's a scholarship at stake. And didn't you make the decision to read through your Bible last year? How'd that go for you? I'll just give him some time. All this holiness will, run, will rub off. Listen, I know that we're, we're, not, we're not saying that. We're, that. That wouldn't be our response. But sometimes I think that's what we think. That's right. That's right. Because our children come back, they scouted out the land, they've caught a glimpse of the abundant Christian life, but we weren't there and we didn't see it. So our glimpse of God isn't as clear as it ought to be. And in that moment, the giants are bigger than our faith in God. Imagine children listening to their parents here, and they're wailing about giants. And they're like, "Mom, Dad, didn't did God not part the Red Sea a couple months ago? I mean, it, He can't defeat giants, but He can do that. I mean, isn't that the presence of God in the sky?" I mean, didn't he just fill the tabernacle? What was that about? I mean, what's going on? So uh, either those giants are really big or our God is not as strong as we thought he was. See, it wasn't the children that lacked the faith. It was the over 20s. See, children find faith easy. Even Jesus said, children find faith easy. We need faith of a child but look at verse 31, but your little ones, which ye, should, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. Well, you say, well, at least the children got to go in. Right, but look at verse 33, and your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years. Yeah. So those young people, those children under 20, had to deal with the consequences of their parents' lack of faith for 40 years. 40 years. And I wonder how many of our children will have delayed blessings because of my lack of faith. I mean, some of those 11 and 12 year old Israelites, they had to wait till they were in their 50s. Before they got to see the land. I wonder how sometimes how my attitude has quenched the spirit of my children when they come back excited about the land. And I wonder how sometimes my lack of faith in a big God has affected my children when they want to take steps of faith that I'm not ready to take. And I wonder if it's going to be my doubt that causes my children to wander in the wilderness because I didn't have faith. I wonder if some children um, in that wilderness, I I wonder if some never got to see Canaan. I mean, I don't know how all that worked. I mean, God wanted them to, but their parents lack of faith might have prevented them. Listen, I guess we have to ask ourselves tonight is when the Lord moves in our young people, are we the ones casting doubt on his ability to bring them into Canaan? I mean, sometimes I wonder why the skepticism. I mean, I think one answer to that is this possibility. And this is tough, but I wonder if sometimes it's because us grownups have never caught a glimpse See, that's the truth, is those that have never been to Israel, that had never seen the promised land, they weren't all that passionate about it. I remember uh, an interview, somebody was asking a mountain climber, and said, you know, why do you keep climbing Everest and going and putting yourself at risk and and taking all these endeavors? I mean, why do you keep doing that? And he kind of laughed and looked at him and says, well, obviously you've never been to the top. See, if you've been to the top, you know. If you've been to the top, you understand why somebody has a passion or a drive to climb that mountain. But here's the thing. In the Christian life, if you've been in the promised land, then you know. If you've caught a glimpse of the promised land, you know. And, and, and maybe the reason that the next generation of young people um, are, being, are, are having doubt cast on their faith and they're not entering the promised land is because they're not observing enough mentors and parents and older church members that have been to the promised land themselves. And if we expect the next generation to enter the promised land and to want to, to, to uh, overcome the giants and experience the abundant Christian life, I think probably needs to start, we need to see the promised land. We need to see the abundant Christian life. Now, it doesn't just fall on parents though. Not everyone that doubted was a parent. There were plenty over 20 that weren't married, but their doubt hindered the next generation too. There were plenty that had grown children and their doubt hindered the next generation. You may not be a parent, you may not have children, you may not have children that are young in the youth group anymore, but I'm telling you, you have influence over the next generation. We all impact each other. And rather than be skeptical, maybe find out how God moved in the hearts of our young people at camp two weeks ago and at youth conferences this week and get excited about the possibilities. Parents, maybe we need to make sure none of our habits become giants in the lives of our children. And I don't want my children to reach Canaan in spite of me. Church member, maybe decide to influence somebody younger than you. You know, you'd make their day, somebody that comes back from youth conference or camp, and maybe you just know them in a passing way. You might, though, you'd make their day if you said, hey, what decisions did you make this week? How can I help you with that? Listen, it it takes a village, doesn't it? And I'm telling you, there's nothing joys my heart than when we have Sunday school teachers invest in my children. I'm the pastor, but I love it when our church folks invest in and love on my kids because I know they need other voices in their lives, too. You have more impact than you realize. You can make a difference in this next generation. Uh, and, and, and maybe we don't even we've not thought about this for a while. But, the, but over on campus right now, there's uh, uh, over 100 I mean, I don't know how many young people from Southwest. There's a good number of those over there on campus right now. They're the future of Southwest Baptist Church. You expand that a little bit. And right now, Southwest Baptist Church is impacting over 1,500 of the next generation that are going to go back to their churches. Right now, over on campus is the next generation. And we need it. I don't know if you watch the news. I I can't hardly watch it anymore. But the junk that's going on, the direction of our country, the the evil being called good and the good being called evil. And we need young people to get a glimpse of the promised land. We need young people who say, I want the abundant Christian life. I want to stand for my generation. I want to make a difference in my school and in my workplace and in my church. And I want the abundant Christian life. I want it. I want it. I see it clearly. Uh, And you have a different. You can make a difference in them desiring it or not. Based on how passionate you are about it in your life. I would encourage you tonight to pray for a young person from your church. By name, say, we've got these young people and I know God wants to use them and I'm going to pray for them. You say, I don't really know them. Uh, One way you can influence is to pray for them. Maybe pray for that young person to be able to keep their decisions. Maybe pray about how God might have you be the encourager that helps them to keep their decision. Maybe pray how you can help them be accountable parents. Parents. When they come back, make their decisions a matter of prayer and make sure that you're willing, if they catch a glimpse of the abundant Christian life as a parent, make sure that you're willing to remove some habits in your home that might be giants in their lives. Maybe as a parent, you think if my children come back with a passion for the abundant Christian life, I better start striving for that myself. And say, if they're going to reach it, they've got to see it in me first. We need the generation over on campus to catch a glimpse. Our country needs it. Southwest Baptist Church needs it. Our cities need it. Maybe it's time for us then to pray and ask God to do mighty things in the next generation, but not stop there. Say, I'm willing to do what it takes to help them take steps to get there. Let's not stop at prayer. The next step is, I want the abundant Christian life in my life if I'm going to be passionate about the next generation getting there themselves. We have any Caleb's in the room tonight? (laughs) Caleb's who've caught a glimpse and believe in a big God and believe that God can take this next generation into the promised land. Will you be a Caleb for the young people of Southwest Baptist Church? Let's stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. I appreciate your attention tonight. Well, I'd love to see the adults of Southwest Baptist Church passionately seeking God for the next generation. There's so much at stake And you have a big part in whether or not this next generation has a passion for the promised land. Maybe it starts in your own heart tonight. Will you seek the Lord on behalf of the next generation of Southwest Baptist Church? We'll have a verse of invitation and a song sung. I'm gonna pray, the invitation's open. Let's do business tonight with the Lord. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for this truth. And Lord, I'm so excited about the potential I love the spirit of Southwest Baptist Church teens, and and I love that you have given them a heart and a glimpse of what you want to do in their lives. And God, yet I I know too that this generation that's here in this room tonight will likely be the make or break, Lord, in their lives. Help us to get a bigger glimpse of God. Help us to uh, see the promised land for ourselves and help us to be Caleb's. That look at the next generation and said, We can, with God's help, we can do this. God help us, Lord, as we support the decisions and help the next generation become what they need to be. Lord, we love you. Pray that you bless this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.